I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I am going to do a listener Q&A episode today because I recently received several really great questions over on Instagram from our listeners or maybe not from our listeners, just from our Instagram community and I know a lot of our listeners actually aren't on Instagram so I wanted to bring the conversation here on the podcast and also when I answer these questions on Instagram I feel like I could elaborate much more than just how I respond in my stories so my answers aren't you know, the exact same because I get to elaborate on my answers here on the podcast. So that is what we're doing today. But before we actually dive into today's episode, I just want to thank all of you because I feel like I have been just getting so much love for the podcast lately. And I want to thank you if you have been one of my friends, one of the listeners who have reached out to me and just like shared with me that you've been loving the episodes lately. I just want to thank you and let you know how much that truly does mean to me. I love having this podcast and I know there's so many podcasts out there that you can be listening to and to know that so many of you are tuning in to Unbreakable You every week. It just makes my heart so full and I'm so grateful for you. So I wanted to be sure to thank you all for that before we actually dive into today's episode. And I guess one more thing is if you're listening to this live, this is coming out on November 22nd and tomorrow I am leaving for my trip to Kelowna, BC for my last somatic experiencing class, which is so exciting for me because it is advanced two from the SE training, so the somatic experiencing training for practitioners. Um, and advanced two is, like I said, the last class. So I'm really excited to complete this three year program that I started um, three years ago. And it's just, I'm just really excited about it and feeling good. And I guess I just wanted to share that with you all um, in case you are one of my friends over on Instagram. And I'm kind of like, you know, I don't think I'm going to be on my phone as much while I'm away. I The class is six days long and I am going to be in Kelowna until December 1st. 
So starting tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the 22nd, all the way until the new month begins, which is so crazy. So that's kind of what the rest of my month is looking like. However, there will be a podcast episode ready for you while I'm away. So come back next week because there is going to be a new podcast episode for you, even though I'll be away because I will be pre-recording that. So why don't we just, I have several questions, like I said, from Instagram, and we'll just like see how many I get through today. And if we, I don't get through all of them, then next week is just going to be a part two. So let's get started. So the first question we have here is tips for resting and sitting while in recovery with these compulsive thoughts to move. So I totally get this. When I was going through eating eating disorder recovery, many years ago, like kind of during that high school time of my life, um, I wasn't allowed to exercise. There was a point in my recovery where I, the doctors wouldn't even allow me to walk around the block. And so like rest was something that, um, I just had to do it. It was part of my recovery And, um, so I totally get the like compulsive thoughts to move and just how difficult resting can be. And even when I wasn't at the depths of an eating disorder, like I was in high school, even when I started HA recovery back in 2018, for an example, you know, I still kind of struggled with some aspects of rest. For an example, I know a lot of you know that I'm a huge reader and I spend many hours of my day just like sitting on the couch, lying around my house reading. And back in 2018, that was something that I really couldn't do at the time and I healed my relationship even more with rest and now resting and lying around and just kind of sitting on the couch doing nothing is really easy for me. So let's talk about why, first of all, you know, resting and sitting might actually be really challenging for you from a nervous system perspective. So when we are looking at the nervous system, there is a state, and many of you will probably be familiar with this state because of how often I talk about the nervous system here on the podcast, and just I feel like a lot of people are talking about nervous system work these days, but when we understand the nervous system, especially like with eating disorder recovery and HA recovery, I think so many things just start to click into place and like these light bulbs start going off. You know, I, I think a lot of, at least this was my experience, but like going through recovery, it's like, oh, the eating disorder is like, 
I have to fight the eating disorder and the eating disorder wants me to move all the time and I want to listen to the eating disorder and for me like that was kind of like the language and the dialogue and my understanding of my situation when I was dealing with an eating disorder and when I was moving through recovery at the time now I think having this knowledge and understanding of the nervous system is such a huge game changer because what's really happening here you know like we don't have to and maybe taking the approach of like having to like fight the eating disorder or whatever maybe that's working for you but I know for me that really didn't work and what I have found in my own healing journey, in my own personal recovery, and also now supporting clients through their own recovery, you know, a understanding and a curiosity and a compassionate approach is so much like more impactful and just such a game changer versus feeling like we have to be fighting these actions. So Where the understanding comes in here is when resting and sitting and not being busy all the time, when that feels challenging, what that really shares with us about the nervous system is that it's likely that we've kind of been hanging out in this sympathetic state more than anything else. So the sympathetic state is that fight or flight state. It's also that state where we feel like we just have to constantly be on and doing, doing, doing things like racing thoughts are common to experience when we're in this sympathetic state. Um, emotions or even like diagnoses such as anxiety are also common when we're chronically in this sympathetic state of the nervous system or when we're hanging out in that sympathetic state of the nervous system. So what can happen is when we spend so much time hanging out in a certain state within the nervous system and in this example it's that sympathetic state when we spend so much time hanging out there and being on and go 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 always busy always doing it starts to become our familiar and one of the leading voices in the polyvagal theory Deb Dana I've talked about her on the show before I absolutely love her work and I just love the way that she explains the nervous system as well and something that I really love how she says is we all have a home away from home and I really just like a side note I think it's so important to you know like give credit to these people I see it so much on I'm just kind of going on a side side tangent by the way but it you know we live in this world like where there's social media and I really I see it all the time like people will learn things from other practitioners or 
whatever it is and then they like kind of like take it like it's their own and not really like paying credit to people who said it first so anyways I just think it's so important to kind of note where we're getting our information from if we're taking certain and very specific bits from people so anyways Deb Dana, one of the most amazing voices in the polyvagal theory, and just like I said, I love how she explains the nervous system, but she says that we all have a home away from home, which is essentially saying that, you know, our, so there's three main states within the nervous system. There's our ventral vagal, which is that state of regulation. There's the sympathetic state, which is that fight or flight. And then there's the dorsal. And dorsal is often referred to as freeze, which isn't actually accurate, but the dorsal is more of that shutdown state. So like that depressed, low feeling of feeling shut down. Now, like I said, she said we all have a home away from home. And in basically every situation that I have worked with clients and when clients come to me struggling with food or in an eating disorder, we're most often experiencing a home away from home in that sympathetic fight or flight state. And when we do have a home away from home in this sympathetic state, that's when things like become familiar where we're so used to always going, always doing, always being so busy. And so when it comes to recovery, it can be extremely challenging to just like rest and sit. So I get that. And we're probably going to also experience these thoughts of, oh my gosh, I need to stand up. I need to do this stuff, right? Because the body is experiencing or the nervous system is experiencing something different. And when we, the nervous system always wants to experience safety, like the nervous system is always looking for signs of safety or danger. And what's familiar to the nervous system is often also what feels safe to it and what's unfamiliar to the nervous system is often what can be perceived as a cue of danger. So that's really where this like understanding of the nervous system and what's actually happening in the body can be so helpful when it comes to integrating more rest and sitting and just like not being as on and go, go, go and busy in recovery. Because when we have that understanding, like, wow, that makes so much sense, right? Like when we're sitting there and all of these thoughts are feeling very compulsive about having to move, what's actually happening is the nervous system just doesn't feel safe in that moment right? And we need to show the nervous system that things actually are safe. So something, you know, this listener is actually asking for tips for resting in recovery when 
she's experiencing all of these compulsive thoughts to move. So the two tips that I would offer here to start is to start slow, like actually start small. And I know this can be really challenging for people recovering from an eating disorder to take small steps and to actually like wrap their heads around the idea of going slow because I think, you know, we, we ourselves who want to recover, we want recovery to happen like tomorrow, right? We want it to be really fast. But then I also think there's these like expectations put on us as well of having to recover at a certain time. And if things are taking longer than expected, Maybe people on the outside are thinking that we're not really taking this seriously, but this is something that I work with, with my work on with my clients all the time is that it's actually going to be more beneficial for us to take these small steps. So we're not overwhelming the nervous system. So that would be my first tip when it comes to resting and sitting in recovery is to actually take things slow. So for an example, I mentioned earlier that I spend so much of my time like sitting on the couch, snuggled up with Penny, my dog, reading. And I can easily sit there for hours and hours and hours and read an entire book. And I can do that now, but I wasn't able to do that in the past. And so I had to start really slow. So let's say, you know, you're trying for a certain period of time and that's just like so difficult for you. Can we make that period or that chunk of time even smaller? And let's just practice doing like doing rest or practicing rest in smaller chunks of time. So that would be one of my tips. The second tip that I will offer you today, it goes back to what I said about showing our nervous system safety because resting for you or for any of you who aren't used to resting and having a difficult time with this, resting is unfamiliar for the nervous system and therefore likely doesn't feel safe for your specific system. That doesn't mean that resting isn't safe. It just feels unfamiliar and therefore it doesn't feel safe for your nervous system. So we want to show the nervous system safety. So one thing that you could do while you're practicing your rest is doing some like noticing something that actually does feel good for you. Now, this could be wrapping yourself with a warm blanket. This could be wrapping yourself with a warm blanket 
and having a mug of tea or a hot chocolate or something to sip on that you can focus on, like something that feels good for you. I mentioned that when I'm sitting reading my book, Penny is often next to me. So maybe you have a pet, whether that's a dog or a cat or whatever furry friend you have in your house that is your pet. These pets of ours are beautiful co-regulators so they can actually support our nervous system into a state of regulation because they are regulated. So we can actually lean on our pet. So what I'm saying here for this second tip is to show your nervous system safety while you're resting. So get curious, like when you are sitting there resting, what around you might be a cue of safety or in other words, like just another way to word that question is what might feel good for you in that moment, right? So this listener is saying that she's having all of these compulsive thoughts to move. So that probably feels a little overwhelming, maybe bringing up some anxiety, anxious feelings, right? Because when we're having these like racing compulsive thoughts that that tends to not be such a great feeling. So I'm wondering when those thoughts are there, if you can, okay, notice the thoughts, but not necessarily be like wrapped up in the thoughts. Okay. So just notice that they're there and get curious about something else that does feel good for you in that moment. So like I said before, maybe it's this warm, fuzzy blanket that you have wrapped around you. And can we bring awareness to that? Can you notice how that feels good? So that is just one example, but those are two tips to get you started when it comes to resting more in recovery and kind of navigating those compulsive thoughts to move. So next question and the way that things are going here, maybe we will only get through two questions today, but that's okay because part two can come next week. So I love this question. She asks, how has your eating changed since you recovered from hypothalamic amenorrhea? And it's kind of like a two-parter question, but she said, do you still eat 2,500 plus calories every day. So I am so incredibly passionate about this topic and I truly feel like I could just jam out on this topic for an entire hour. But anyways, okay, so I am excited to dive into this. If you cannot tell. So part one of her question, how has your eating changed since your HA recovery? So this is what I am so careful about, like my language when posting about HA recovery and things, because I see this all the time on Instagram and just like social media in general, but like I see people posting like how to eat 
for HA recovery or like what to eat to get your period back, right? I see that language being used all of the time. And here's my issue with that is because, and I can speak from personal experience here because this is how it felt for me when I was in HA recovery and seeing other practitioners or whatever, but oh my gosh, I'm getting tongue tied, but mostly or mainly practitioners who were speaking to the HA recovery community. And they were constantly using that language of this is what you eat to get your period back. And how that felt for me was that, okay, this is what I have to eat in order to get my period back. But then there was like another way to eat afterwards, right? And I know a lot of people feel similarly because my clients say the same thing to me. And then I also get questions like this. And so that's why I think that language can be really troublesome because when we hear that, we feel like, that is only acceptable to eat that way when we are working towards getting our period back. But then once we do get our period back, then things can change or then you have to change the way you're eating because now you have your period back. So I want to clear something up. That is not true. That is not how, and that's why I'm so careful with the language that I use around like food and speaking to the HA community because when we are going through HA recovery, let's say you've been working on your HA recovery and doing all the things to get your period back. And then let's say one day your period comes back, right? And yay, you recovered, you got your period back, okay? So what this is telling us is that what you've been doing in order to get to this point, right? So all this time that you've been in recovery and now at this point have your period back, what that's telling us is that what you've been doing is exactly what your body needs in order to function properly and thrive and have this beautiful monthly bleed, right? It's not saying, okay, you did this, now go back to your old ways. When we get our periods back, we now know exactly how we need to be eating in order to actually have a period and function properly. So if you take anything away from my answer to this question, I hope it's that, that like when you finally get your period back after being in HA recovery, like all the things that you were doing That is exactly what you need to like continue to do, especially with like the food piece. Okay. That is not a sign to go back to your old ways or eat less food. That is not the case. And like I said, that is why I'm so careful with 
the language that I use around food and HA recovery, my approach and something that really helped me when I was going through HA recovery was approaching it in a way of like relearning how much food my body actually needed to get in order to function properly. And just even like that approach, I think really helped me because like I said, we can be so fixated on, oh, I have to eat in order to get my period back. But what would shift and what changes if you were to approach your journey in the way that I just suggested of relearning what a healthy, thriving, optimally functioning woman actually needs to eat on a daily basis. Like, and even as I say that, I'm wondering what changes inside, right? I'm wondering if you can even notice that shift. And if you can, I would suggest... (laughs) maybe trying to approach your HA recovery in that way, in a relearning type of way versus that like you just have to eat X amount in order to get your period back. Because I know that can be stressful. And also, like I said before, it just feels like there's kind of like this end to it, right? Where That's not the case. We want to relearn how much our bodies actually need. And I, and this is like my my next thing that I want to talk about when it comes to this question, right? Like she, um, her part two of this question is like, do you still eat 2,500 plus calories, right? And I I totally understand because when I, before I started HA recovery, I also thought like, oh my goodness, 2,500 calories. Like that sounds like so much food, right? And to me, I kind of couldn't believe that an average woman ate 2,500 calories. And um, it just sounded like a lot of food to me. But let's get one thing clear. The reason why 2,500 calories sounds like a lot of food is because of a few things. So it's obviously going to sound like a lot of food if you have been consistently eating less than 2,500 calories, right? Like that just makes sense, right? I'm trying to think of another example. It's like, Um, if someone washed their hair once a week, this might be a terrible example, but I wash my hair once a week. Okay. I have like a hair washing day. It's usually on Mondays. I love hair washing day. (laughs) Okay. Let's say someone washes their hair like myself once a week. Well, if someone told me that they wash their hair seven days a week, that's going to sound like a lot to me. I'd be like, whoa, I couldn't even imagine washing my hair seven days a week because I'm so used to washing it once a week, right? So if we are used to, let's say, eating 
1500 calories, which is extremely low and not meeting any woman's needs. Okay. Let's say you're used to eating 1500 calories. And then I come up to you and say, yeah, I consistently eat over 2500 calories every single day. That's going to sound like a lot to you because you're so used to eating less than that right? So again, there comes in like that relearning process. We really need to start relearning what a full-grown woman needs to eat to function properly. The other piece to why I think 2,500 calories sounds like a lot is I mean, let's get real. We live in a world where we are surrounded by diet culture, whether we like it or not, right? I don't follow diet culture accounts on TikTok or Instagram. I don't listen to podcasts about eating ever. Yet, I still, you know, like it doesn't matter how filtered you kind of make your life we are still constantly taking in this diet culture message and honestly like when have you ever seen in a magazine for an example that you know they're recommending eating 2000 calories or even more than that right never We never see that. We have never been modeled this way of eating unless you were raised by caregivers who ate an appropriate amount, right? But in many cases, that's likely not what happened. So if we aren't modeled these things, how, like, we can't expect ourselves to just like know this stuff, right? And so that's another reason why 2,500 calories can sound like so much because no one has actually modeled this to us. No one is actually telling us that like, hey, this is actually how much you need to be eating, right? Most of us actually don't come across this information until we're in recovery, until we're usually in HA recovery. We're starting to learn this stuff, right? So that's what I wanted to say about that. And 2,500 calories is so not a lot of food. That is another thing. Like I can, I don't have to try to eat 2,500 calories. I can easily eat 2,500 calories every single day. So to answer your questions, how has your eating changed since HA recovery? And do you still eat 2,500 plus calories? So I had to eat 2,500 plus calories to get my period back. So to answer your question, yes, I still eat 2,500 plus calories on a daily basis all the time. Ever since 2019, when I got my period back, I never drop them because why I healed my body to a point where she thrives off of 2,500 plus calories. And 
why would I want to eat less than that? I think it is so badass when women can eat a lot of food and be like strong and healthy and thriving, right? So I got my body to a place where it was able to eat that much food and function properly and like get have a period every month and everything else like sleep through the night and proper digestion right so all of my health markers are like check 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 when I'm eating this much and it just doesn't make sense in my mind to eat less than that like I said I think it's so badass when I see women eating a lot of food and I love that I rather eat more food than less food. So no, I do not eat less than that. I consistently eat over 2,500 calories every single day ever since being in HA recovery and getting my calories to that point. How has my eating changed since HA recovery? I would not say that it has changed in, well, it hasn't changed in like the calorie way because I've been very clear today about still continuing to eat that much because that's truly how much my body needs. However, the way that I would say that it has changed is when I was going through HA recovery and even like, gosh, up until kind of, I don't know, not like super recently, but maybe within like the past year. So like a year ago or so, um, I, my body really, really, really needed, um, like consistency, meaning like I had to eat every two to three hours. I really had to, um, if I didn't, I would get extremely hungry. So I was constantly eating, every two to three hours during HA recovery and even after the fact. And then I would say kind of within the past year or so, I've noticed that, and this is just a sign of health, you guys, okay? I have noticed that I don't actually have to eat every two hours, but what that looks like, it does not mean that I am eating less. It means that I am having much larger meals now because I don't need to eat every two hours for an example, but at the end of the day, my total calories are like following the same, right? I'm still eating the same amount, by the end of the day, but I just wanted to be honest with you about how my eating has changed and that that's actually a really amazing sign of health where we don't have to eat every two hours anymore, but you know, I can go like four hours without eating, which again is not a long time. I still you know me. And if you don't know me, I'm going to tell you right now, I am never going to fast for long periods of time. I think when we sleep during the night, that is when we have this beautiful natural fast that the body can go through. But 
fasting beyond that is not necessary. So I still, and this is a key for healthy hormones, but I wake up and I go straight to the kitchen and I eat breakfast. That will forever be a habit of mine. But basically um, what I'm saying is versus how it was when I was in recovery eating like every two hours. Now I can have larger meals and kind of space some of those out, you know, up to like four hours or something like that. But at the end of the day, still eating over 2,500 calories because that is what my body needs. So I hope that answers your questions. I do have more questions for next week, but since we're already at the 40 minute mark, I'm going to wrap this up. And as always, if you have any questions you'd like for me to talk about and answer and explore with you on the show by all means please send me an email I have my email linked up in the show notes so hit me up with an email hit me up with your questions and if anything that I shared today resonates with you and you just feel like maybe you could benefit from a little bit of extra support in your life please know that I am here for you. Even though I am away for the rest of this week and next week, I am going to be back the first week of December. And I recently opened another day for one-on-one clients in my calendar. So I used to see clients Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now I'm seeing clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I have more space in my calendar. And if you are looking for nervous system support, trauma healing support, support around HA recovery or eating disorders, please know I am your gal and I would love nothing more than to support you on this journey. So Thank you so much for tuning in this week and I will be back next week with a part two for a Q&A.